In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I've spoken at various times through Bible class and sermons and whatnot about the time that I spent in South Sudan. I spent about two months teaching at a Lutheran seminary in southern Sudan in a little village called Yambio. And Yambio had about 10,000, 12,000 people uh, in this little village. It was kind of scattered all here and there. And one of the most fascinating things that I noticed while I was there is that if you were born with some sort of physical impairment, you were not allowed to be with your family. Polio was all over the place still, even though we can't necessarily comprehend that today. And there were plenty of people who were born with polio. And if you were born with polio, you were not allowed to be raised in your family. Instantly, these children, these babies, and as they would grow up, if they survived, would be seen on the sides of the street begging for anything. And the most shocking thing that I saw one day was when I went into town with some other people. We were riding a motorcycle, and here was a woman who had polio. Her legs were bent up back along her back. She had no clothes on, and she was in the middle of the street in traffic trying to cross the street. One of the other pastors who was with me, we stopped and we tried to help her across and everybody stopped what they were doing, including driving, and looked at us with great horror because they could not understand why we were taking care of this woman. Why would we want to even dare touch her, let alone take her across the street? Or what were our intentions? After all, we were to white men in a South Sudanese village. Lots of suspicion. The Lutheran Church in the South Sudan started a work called the Hands of Mercy where they are taking in these people who have polio and other places like uh, other situations like this and they are giving a home to these men, women and children. They're giving them nourishment, they're giving them clothes, they're even giving them trade and other things like that that they can learn, sewing and other things that they can sell to make income. In very many ways, you would go there and you would say that the, the men, women, and children who were with the Hands of Mercy group were one big family, even though they were scattered from their own families who lived in the same town still and had nothing that they wanted to do with their loved ones. Now, why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all of this because I really want you to view the church the same way. We don't have naked people in here with polio. We don't have people in here necessarily that are having all sorts of issues that we're shouting, unclean, unclean. But so much of American Christianity today has been so focused on you as the individual. American Christianity loves today to talk about you and your individual walk with the big guy upstairs. And so many churches today, you can go down the Mardell's and other places like that with bookstores, they all have these self-help books that give you 7, 9, 12, 45,000 different steps to make your life better as a Christian. And if you just read this book, you become a better steward. You'll become one who prays better. 
You'll become one who is more in tune with your faith and where God would like to see you because you don't know right now. None of us know. And so what this has become for us today is almost like, and I look much worse than he does, it's, it's like I'm Dr. Phil up here today. And i got to give you something here today to make your personal walk with Jesus just that much better. But the problem is, is that you all identify with different things and different problems in life. If I was asking you today, how do you identify, what would you tell me? I'm an American. I'm a Razorback fan. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a lifelong Arkansan. I've actually been able to say that word now, right? I'm a Southern boy. I'm a Southern girl. I'm a Yankee. I like cornbread with my chili. I mean, all sorts of things that you can identify with. I'm a male. I'm a female. I don't know what I am. How do you identify today? And everybody does the same thing that the church has been doing. You need to come up with your individual identity. But yet we don't ever seem to start with the common things that we have. I'm a human being. And guess what? Unless you're playing a really good game of charades, you are too. Yeah, you have your differences. I have my differences. But we all need oxygen to breathe. We all have two eyes, two ears, a nose, and a mouth. We all need water. We all need food. We all need regular things to keep us alive. But everything amongst us today has become so individualized. And that's why the kingdom of God goes completely against everything on earth. What are you talking about, Pastor? What I'm really talking about is today is, is that you are one big family. Notice I didn't say happy. You are one big family. Now, that's the reason why I said at the baptismal font, it seems kind of creepy to call this person over here my brother or this person over here my sister, but that's what Holy Scripture says of you. Holy Scripture does not talk about you and your personal faith walk with God. Holy Scripture always speaks about the body of Christ, the many members but one body. Scripture talks about us in terms of we, not me. Look at our epistle today. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. Paul talks about this all over the place in Romans chapter 6. We, us, we, we, us, us. This is all us. It's not you and you alone with God. It is a community. And that baptismal community starts just right there at the baptismal font where the most amazing thing happened. Did you read this? You probably have heard this before, but read it again. This is what we say at the very beginning of our funeral rite. In holy baptism, Joe Smith, 
Jane Smith, whoever's lying in the casket, was baptized into Christ Jesus. And then we say, we were therefore buried with him by baptism into death. We, he or she, in the, in the casket, you and me, all of us were buried with Christ and resurrected. What does that mean? That's why we've got the little medallion that says baptism now saves you from 1 Peter. In your baptism, whether or not you realize it, Romans chapter 6 says this. Romans chapter 6 says that in your baptism, mine was May 22nd, 1976, Lafayette, Indiana. All right, Pastor Schmidt baptized me and never got to meet him. But at that point in time, I was taken back to the cross. And so were you. And you notice what Paul says there? We were baptized into his death. What does that mean? You were put to death with Jesus. You were buried with Jesus by baptism into death. In order that he is raised from the dead, you might be raised as well. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Easter in July. Love it. Yeah. In your bath, you might say, well, pastor, there's just some water and some words. I don't remember this as a child. This is why we call it a mystery, a sacrament. Paul is saying that it's not just simple water, but it's water connected with the word of God. It takes you back to the cross where you are crucified, buried, and resurrected with Jesus in all of these things. And what does that mean for you and me? Death no longer has dominion over you. If I go out here today and get hit by a Mack truck, I've already died because I've died in my baptism and so have you. This is the wonderful and greatest gift you could have ever been given. It's why we begin our funeral rite with the idea that the person sitting in the box is baptized. It's not was, but is. What does that mean? They're still alive. They're alive in the newness of God's creation in heaven awaiting the resurrection of the dead. There's not all past tense. It is they are now alive and well in the arms of their loving Savior. They are the church triumphant. You are the church militant. But either way, we are one family. Got that song in your head? We are family. Yeah, that's what it is. Everybody coming in with all of their sins, all of their problems, all their burdens, all their fears. And Paul says that we are to bear with each other in their burdens. We're supposed to take care of each other in the burdens. And when you read in Exodus 20 today, you see where we take these things. We look at people's burdens and we begin to judge according to the law of God. They're not honoring their parents. They certainly haven't treated people correctly. And all of a sudden, God says, yeah, well, guess what? All of you have done this. And if, you're, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the chief priests and the Pharisees, you'll never be saved, says Jesus. This is why Jesus must come to fulfill the law for you. This is not Jesus, the moral teacher, saying, 
Well, if you just pull up your spiritual bootstraps, you'll be fine. If you just pray harder, if you just think about me a little bit longer, if you just read an extra chapter a day of Scripture, everything's going to be fine. Because guess what? It's not. Sin, temptation, and the person that you look at in the mirror will be your ruin. This is why Jesus does not look upon us by what we have done or left undone. He looks upon us and does all of the fulfillment on our behalf. It's all been paid for by his death and his resurrection. And it was poured out for you freely in your baptism. This is why Luther says it's not about what I have faith in. He says somebody can have faith in everything. It's really about the fact that I am baptized. Say that with me. I am baptized. I am baptized. Yeah, you are the baptized children of God. You are the family of God. And that also changes us for how we go about our day-to-day -day lives. You now live in the newness of eternal life. You now live with his life, his light, and his mercy in your life. You now don't look at each other as <laughs> that person sitting in my pew. Or the new chairs. Did you guys check out the chairs? Yeah. We don't have as many people over there today. That's kind of surprising. Pastor Found's asleep back there. So, uh, No, just kidding. Yeah. We look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't dare come to the communion rail and say, I don't want to kneel next to this person. Maybe in your heart of hearts you do, but we don't look at each other as members. We are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We have been united with him in a death like his. We will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, and there he's talking about the fact that every one of us, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has, been, who has died has been set free from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's the wonderful gift that you have as the family of God. No matter how old you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how you identify, your identity should start with what we just said. Say it with me. I am baptized. That's at the top of everything. I am baptized and not even death can take that away from me because I've already died with Christ. Let the whole world throw all of its hell and its mess at me. Luther would look at a lot of these things and laugh. Why? Because I've died and risen with Christ with you, my brothers and sisters. Everything is paid for. Everything is taken care of. All of your sins have been washed in the death and resurrection of Christ, never to be brought up again. And yes, we are family. And we pray that like any good family, we would continue to bear with one another in our burdens. We would not cast each other out into the sea and in our judgments, but we would look upon each other with his grace and his mercy because we are dead to sin and alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.